Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Top headline in coronavirus news is March sales in the UK rise by over 30%. In other news, sales of Rioche Bashes are high in the UK. Hail hits Bordeaux. Treasury registers Penfold's brand name in China. Campari to buy Champagne House Lallier. And a cocktail of the week. So before we dive into the news, uh, we've had a few highlights in the past week in wine, although it's been a little bit quiet, we have to say, as I'm sure you all can relate. But we continue with the virtual tastings. I've seen quite a few good ones. And I'm going to give another plug to the California Wine Institute uh, webinars as they continue. This week featured Elaine Chacon Brown and Rory Williams of Frog's Leap, Trey Sabores, and his own wine winery, uh, Calder. It was really great. It was, um, you know, he's so enthusiastic about uh, sustainability, about farming, about, you know, new regions in in the U.S. because he farms in Napa Valley, but also in Mendocino. It was just a really interesting uh, conversation and tasting. And I think, you know, there is, although there's a lot of noise out there, with the virtual tastings and not everyone does them that well i think the caliber is improving even in the last couple of weeks and it's just about finding those good ones and hanging on to them because some of people are doing more series and it's it's good to see people are learning about um, how to present their information and their wines uh, remotely rather than in person so i agree it's definitely going to well i hope it's going to improve as uh, people figure out what they're doing and rory's a, a fantastic speaker and a very knowledgeable one as well and once he gets going it's hard to stop him because he really loves his craft and i think the other highlight for me was is non-wine related but for all of you out there who have your homemade masks and are wearing them out and about um, I listened to this little nugget of information from uh, from NPR, and it's pantyhose is a way of improving the effectiveness of your mask. So, in fact, all you have to do is take a pair of tights or pantyhose or whatever you know the lady of the house has in her closet, and uh, cut a strip. I don't know about six inches wide so that you have the hoop and then that goes over the mask and it actually seals it tighter so it it can make it up to 50 percent more effective they said anyway i thought that was a fun fact and wanted to share thank you katie and now on with the news coronavirus news in the uk and this most likely reflects global trends, sales of alcohol in March rose by 31% in volume and by 33% in value. This is in contrast to general retail sales in the UK falling by 5%, with clothing hard hit with a decline of 35% in sales. Both supermarkets and off-licenses saw significant increases in sales, with a rise of 10% for supermarkets and 31% for off-licenses. Another important trend is the rise in online sales, which in general accounted for a record 22% of all purchases in the UK in March. However, the question is whether these trends are sustainable. Have consumers been stocking up for the long term, and will we therefore see a decline in sales in April and future months? 
An MEP, Eric Andrew, has warned that a billion liters of wine could be lost following a steep decline in exports as French, Spanish, and Italian governments discuss measures to introduce crisis distillation in the summer months of June, July, and August. After U.S. tariffs hit European wine exports, producers then saw containers of wine being sent back from Asia amid the first series of lockdowns there. Storage of wine that was expected to be sold has become a key concern, especially as the 2020 harvest approaches. President of the Comité European des Entreprises Vins, Jean-Marie Barrier, said that the closure of hotels, restaurants, and bars had caused 30% of European wine and 50% of its value to be held in storage. He also commented that, after some signs of stockpiling in early March, sales went down again in supermarkets at the end of the month, reinforcing the negative trend of the wine market. The CEEV has created an emergency plan, COVID-19 wine package, to organize the recovery and rebuilding of the wine industry, calling on help from governments to support the business. Meanwhile, in the US, the National Restaurant Association reported that 8 million employees have lost their jobs during the coronavirus crisis. They will be sending an industry recovery plan to Congress this week, asking for a blueprint for recovery for the second largest private sector employer in the States. The association estimated that US restaurants had lost $30 billion in March and could lose $50 billion in April, with a potential loss of $240 billion over the course of the year. Yes, it's interesting, this sort of forecasting for the European wine industry. It sounds a lot like what's happening in the oil industry with all the stockpiling going on and, you know, uh, oil industry, all the storage facilities are full. And so, you know, that's causing oil prices to go negative, as we've seen in the news. So it seems that the same might happen with wine. The question is, how are we going to come out of the lockdown as... Some of the um, the curve is beginning to flatten in a lot of countries, but how do you open up the economy and get people um, traveling again, working again, and consuming again? Or is that even going to happen? Nothing's going to be quite the same once we get out of this, whenever that is. You know, and with all of this, what I don't really understand is that retail sales are up, up, and up. So although on-premise sales have stalled, off-premise seems to be picking up the slack, right? And the online sales as well obviously on the increase. So people are, have been buying a lot of wine and other drinks, but the question is, is that sustainable? Are they going to continue to buy that huge amount of drinks? Or are their sellers completely um, full now and they'll keep them going for several months? And then you have all this wine that people have in storage that they can't get rid of. Well, that's the question that economies around the world are trying to answer and how to keep sales up, but remain safe. <laughs> The Spanish region of Rias Baixas has been fashionable since the 1990s, leading the way in transforming the reputation of Spanish white wine. Because of Rias Baixas, Albariño is now a well-known and common white grape variety, and Spanish white wine is fresh, crisp, and fun rather than dull and over-oxidized. Figures released this week show that Rias Baixas has pushed on to another level. Sales in 2019 in the UK were 42% higher than in 2018, a quite significant increase. Two million liters of Rias Baixas were drunk in the UK, and accounting for 25% of all exports of Rias Baixas. It seems the UK has become addicted to this highly refreshing aromatic style of wine. <laughs> 
Very interesting figures, that's a lot of consumption, 2 million litres and a 42% increase. It must be noted that 2018 generally was um, a high volume vintage, that may account for um, the higher increase in consumption. Well, and in the UK, they do like their fish and chips, and I would say that Albarino is a fine companion to a little bit of fried fish and chips, no? I'm sure that's true, but I'm not sure if that that is driving consumption. Interesting observation. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it is proof that that Riesch Beisch has established itself as a really high-quality region that people recognize and go for, and Albarino is a permanent presence in the white wine market. And this is really driving the demand for Spanish white wine across the board. I think Riesbach is just the one region that people know, and this will connect it to other regions as well. Yeah, sure. And I've, I've seen it here. We've seen it here in the U.S. as well. We've seen it on the shelves. And, you know, people know Albarino, uh, which I don't think they did five years ago. And um, there's some good Albarino being made here in California as well. And so um, it's definitely um, an upward curve for Albarino and Riesch Baishash. Two hailstorms occurred in Bordeaux on Friday and Saturday, 17th and 18th of April. The first affecting in particular parts of Entre-de-Mer and Saint-Emilion and its surrounding appellations, with the second causing less damage in Saint-Julien. There was quite a lot of water, which was more of a concern than the hail. As ever with hail, the effect was very localised, with some vineyards untouched and others greatly damaged. It was estimated that between 600 and 800 hectares had received 80% damage. While on the right bank in Santamilion and Castillon, between 3,000 and 4,000 hectares had received at least a 10% crop loss. The conclusion, though, is that it's still too early to assess the impact on the 2020 harvest. So is that going to drive prices up then as we look towards the 2020 vintage of Bordeaux? Well, the um, most of this hail seems to have fallen in Entre-de-Mer where prices are low. True. So it's a fairly generic um, growing region. Uh, Saint-Emilion wasn't affected too much. It's more in the neighbouring regions of Castillon and also Côte de Franc where prices again are quite low. So I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on that unless there's further damage in the future. And then in Saint-Julien where the prices are high, that doesn't seem to have caused too much damage. Well, while the commerce of wine is sort of at a standstill in some ways, uh, the growing season continues. Treasury Wine Estates, who own the famous Australian winery Penfolds, have finally been able to register it as a trademark in China. The trademark, called Benfu in China, has been subject to 10 years of litigation in the country. Penfolds was first sold in China 25 years ago, but the original Ben Fu trademark expired, meaning that Penfolds have been subject to counterfeiting and fraud as the Chinese market has rapidly developed in that time. The issue first arose in 2009 when the Ben Fu trademark was registered by someone else, and Penfolds have been fighting against its use ever since and have finally succeeded in making it solely associated with Penfold's wine. Given the prevalence of wine fraud in China, it's an important development to see the authorities recognize Penfold's, or Benfu, as a brand name that only they can use. Uh, There has been a reluctance in China to protect foreign foreign regional and brand names, but it seems that China is coming on board to help protect the identity, authenticity, and origin of those wines. And Penfold's, of course, is a very famous 
an expensive luxury brand, so it does need to be protected because counterfeiting and fraud really hurts its reputation and its price. Uh, so you can see why Penfolds have fought very hard, or Treasury Wine Estates on their behalf, have fought very hard to uh, protect it. Well, and I know Bordeaux has struggled quite a bit um, with these same sort of counterfeiting issues. So I wonder if that will extend to many of those brands and to California and Napa as well. Napa Valley was actually the first region to have its name protected in China. So they were very quick uh, to get on board and making sure that Napa Valley was an authentic designation. So you can see that these really important luxury regions and wine brands are very keen to protect their names because it protects their um, reputation and quality. Campari is in negotiations to take an 80% stake in Champagne Lallier, which would make Campari the first Italian enterprise to own a Champagne house. Lallier produced 700,000 bottles of their own Champagne each year, with another 300,000 from related brands. The wines are generally found in good restaurants and independent wine shops, but the Campari purchase would certainly open up a much broad, broader market for the house. Well, as with all of these acquisitions, uh, we just have to hope that quality remains high. Uh, it's interesting that Campari are looking to invest in champagne, despite the global slump and expectation of even further reduced profits from the firm. Yeah, we talked about this last week when I was uh, talking about Sil Brun uh, from Charles Isaac, and he talked about how champagne sales now are, are very much down by as much as 80%. But over the next 10 years, they're really confident of sales increasing. And so this would suggest that Campari feel the same, that Champagne is definitely a very safe area to invest in. Where I'm sure, though I don't have actual data, that Champagne sales have slumped um, when there's not disposable income readily available. But, you know, economies all bounce back and Champagne rises again. So if Campari, which I expect they do, have the financial strength to weather the storm, then they'll be in good standing for the long run. And of course, Dom Perignon was first released in the middle of the Great Depression. And so people do turn to luxury even in difficult times. Maybe in small, Fun fact, Matthew. Yeah, maybe in small amounts. And Lallier is a, a good producer. They're across the road from Moët et Chandon in Epinay. Uh, so they have a good track record of producing pretty good um, quality wine, not too expensive. And so I think it's a wise investment and interesting that Campari have uh, moved into the champagne market. <laughs> So most of our loyal listeners uh, will know that we close out the pod with our wine of the week, but this week we have something different for you. So we're entering the final week of our Daily Dose series uh, on IGTV, in which our Instagram feed we discuss a particular wine that has piqued our interest. And this week we opened some pretty fun stuff, including the wonderfully and memorably named Bastardo from Portugal, as well as some Menthia from Spain, and a Vincento from Tuscany. So do follow us on Instagram, at windupweekly, uh, to keep track of all the exciting wines uh, we like to try and all the corks we're popping. But for the pod, instead of a wine of the week, we're presenting our cocktail of the week, which features two of our favorite drinks, sherry and vermouth. The cocktail is called the bamboo, and the recipe we followed in making the cocktail dates back to 1912, although the cocktail itself is a lot older than that and was firmly established by then. 
There are lots of really good books on cocktails out there, but we like to use an app uh, called Martin's New and Improved Index of Cocktails and Mixed Drinks from the First Golden Age of the American Bar. Not the catchiest title, and not the uh, typical app, as is an in-depth guide to historical cocktail recipes and the ingredients used in them. Highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun and a lot of history and some really good recipes. So as is the case for any classic cocktail, there are many variants to the bamboo, and we inadvertently created our own variant. So the 1912 recipe calls for one and a half ounces of dry vermouth and a three-quarter ounces fino or manzanilla sherry two dashes of orange bitters, and two drops of Angostura bitters, which are strained into a cocktail glass and then garnished with a lemon twist and an olive. So I'm not sure what the difference between a dash and a drop is, but I I actually just interpreted them to be the same thing. Mm, I think they might be slightly different. I would say a dash is slightly less than a drop, but that's just my interpretation. I think Mm. that's correct. Mm. So instead of dry vermouth, we used Lustau's white vermouth, which is one of the best vermouths out there. And I say it is the best, but we didn't have any olives, so they were absent. Um, You could also make this equal part sherry and vermouth, or use red vermouth and amontillado or oloroso. So there's lots of possibilities, but we love the one we created, the aromatics from the vermouth, the dryness from the manzanilla, and the touch of citrusy sweetness from the bitters. Dangerously drinkable. Yes, it just contains everything that I love about vermouth and everything I love about sherry. It's combining the two best things in life together. It was wonderful. Yeah, so cheers to Tomas at Backroom Wines, uh, who recommended the bamboo, knowing how much we both love sherry and vermouth. So we're extremely grateful. Loved it. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for another wind up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio. Cheerio.